When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Welcome back to the team, Jordy, and no worries, we all go through those tough times. Just last week, Dave had to talk me back onto the Redcast. <laughs> And I'm also with Boomer. I'd just like to uh, repeat one of my normal standing offers to the New Orleans Saints organization. Normally I pitch a uh, clock management coaching position, but uh, for what apparently you guys get out of your defensive backfield, I can do that for half that salary So and get the same results. <laughs> you can at least coach tackling, if anything, right? I can coach not tackling, so that's apparently good enough for New Orleans. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was quite the inning. Uh, we are recording here on Monday night, uh, which actually puts us uh, into the uh, Nebraska basketball game. We're actually watching uh, the Huskers take on Illinois uh, as we do the podcast here, and actually it's just down to the last minute or so. So uh, we'll see how that turns out, right, guys? Oh yeah, fifty-two point two seconds. Timeout. So Nebraska ball. We'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, Nebraska ball uh, later on in the, in the show. We had a, a tough loss there on a Friday night with Penn State. But uh, before we get to that, uh, we can talk a little football, right, guys? Absolutely. Sure. Sweep left. You know, winter conditioning, is this is this correct, Honk? Starts tomorrow. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, tomorrow morning, Tuesday uh, morning, so the, they'll start officially lifting, and I think that's like 530. Right, yeah. Earlier the better, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need all the help they can get. Uh well, uh, it's uh, you know they had a, a pretty big recruiting weekend uh, there in Lincoln, even though it was quite cold, and we've uh, had some good good uh, Twitter stuff out there too, Honk. You know, I think you sent something out last week on uh, Scott Frost's UCF uh, practice uh, coaches clinic type stuff. Uh, what was that all about? That was really interesting stuff, huh? Well, yeah, and that's something that we don't have Mac joining us here this week, and, and next week I'm going to have him kind of do a little bit more. Uh, in depth into this because he really read through it a lot and, and has been focused on it. But but there was some uh, uh, some tweets that came out from like a year ago, basically uh, from some coaches that were at the UCF uh, coaches clinic, and that's the same thing that we go to every spring here at Nebraska, and we have for the last fifteen years. So um, hopefully we'll have similar types of notes that we can talk about, you know, in a couple of months. But anyways, the notes that were coming out were everything from just the, the level of effort that you'd expect, right? How they run practice, physical wide receivers who are blocking downfield. And you start to get those, you hear those things and just, you know, us Husker fans that can remember the 80s and 90s and so on, that just harkens back to those kind of times when Frost was playing. And and there's just, there's a lot of good things in there. There's was, there was stuff about them getting under center and running uh, fly sweeps. So there's a lot of different kinds of things that, that uh, you know, I think, Frost has a has an offense, has a defense that we're going to be able to see a lot of things that maybe haven't just been run at Oregon or just been run at UCF, I, and um, a lot of that kind of came out in those in those uh, notes. 
Yeah, I, I thought that was great stuff. You know, I mean, you have to really mine the internet. I mean, a, a, as we know, Boomer has actually finished the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, one twice. of uh, like maybe a handful of people in the world twice, who's right? done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Twice. Is that right, Boomer? Exactly. Yep. Once in English and then once in Russian, <laughs> just to add a little twist to it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, those Russian websites can be a little sketchy, but hey, you had to do it, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you use somebody else's computer for it's that. It's for the best, yeah. So That's why McGuire's not on tonight, right. so he's, he's cleaning some stuff off the browsers. <laughs> it, it could be a while. That's right. Looks like the Huskers uh, are another tight one here. They're up by two with 18 seconds left. They missed a free throw, and... Uh, they uh, need to stop the fighting Illini to win this thing. So, uh, so the Illini we'll have the ball. Here. 18 seconds here. Now they're dribbling. This is great. Podcast. There's no way for this anyone listening for us again. We did this last week. I don't, I don't <laughs> There's know no way this ends uh, poorly for the Huskers. Advised. There's the three. Point oh, no, no, I just made it. <laughs> that is 8.1 seconds. Okay, well, <laughs> Dave, let's move along. Move along, and we'll. Uh, oh, we do have eight seconds uh, left, but we'll, there's a timeout. So. All right. Are we going to shoot um, anything other than a three-pointer here with this last on our last play? Yeah, that'd be nice Are to get a, a higher quality here? shot than that off. That's for uh, certain. You know what, Dave? Here's a chance live. What, what what do you think? What what would you be telling the team right now as the coach? What would you what, what would you be wanting to get here out of this last eight seconds? Obviously a shot, oh. but yeah, I mean, I, I would. Uh, and they fouled him. Oh, Are you kidding me? Of course we did. You fouled the three-point shooter. Wow, that's that's rough. Um. Yeah. Well, as we have the ball, we have one timeout left. You, you're clearly you got eight seconds, so you can take that thing all the way to the hole. Um, you might actually inbounds the ball, call the timeout, inbounds again at half court, and you try to penetrate, take, get the shot up as soon as you possibly can. So we just called timeout. Made they made both. the free throw. They're up by two. So again, this uh, is, oh, this, is hot, a, this could be a disastrous sure. loss for for a Husky. I mean, Penn State game was bad enough. They had fought all the way back. Um, and, and took that thing to overtime. Honky, you gave up on them uh, sometime in the first half, I believe. Well, I had to go shopping. Um, but <laughs> Boomer and I stuck it out and were rewarded, at least partially, by them actually at some point taking the lead there. Uh, but then they couldn't seal the deal. Um, and it, th- that was a, a road game. Penn State is, is not bad. So it wasn't a completely disastrous loss. But losing to Illinois, one of the worst teams in the league, at home would at be some point this team has to step up and win those games even if you know it's just Penn State they're not bad you've, you've got to win well, these games well here you go I mean they, they, they need to win this yeah round. this I mean, is the amazing the thing I mean, now they, is now. they refuse to ever seem to take this next step I mean we'll give them a shot here let's see what they can do but dear lord and uh, uh, well you know I'll, as we <laughs> try to watch this and do the podcast uh, football wise uh, it's interesting. Uh, I mentioned the recruiting weekend. Uh, not only did we have a lot of uh, you know uh, potential uh, recruits in town, but we actually had a commitment from uh, was it Breon Dixon? Is that right, Honky? Yeah. So he's the, was actually a transfer, really, right? Correct. And this has something to do with uh, the NCAA ruling, where you know if you're a school that's on probation, he's coming basically from Ole Miss, where they have a been on a two-year probation from Bowles, so basically he'll be able, if he gets the waiver, he'll be able to get like four years, or he has four years to play three, and so he's obviously wanting to play all three. And the shot is up, and we make it with .3 seconds. Holy smokes. Was that Palmer then? Oh my goodness. Nebraska ball, we knew it all along. There you go, Boomer. That's all they had to do last week. There you go, Boomer. 
Okay. This is. This is. This is. Hooray! Oh, they—they've only given it of a two, so it might be overtime. Wait, no, that was a two. Might not be. We. No, no, they're they're reviewing this, and they, I mean, they are going to give them, yeah, they've already handshaked. This thing's over. Oh, yes. They, they, they're going to go back and look at this and give them the point. Uh, they have already, everybody else has already seen it. It's, see it's a clear Let's take a look. The oh, yeah. probably it's a final, 64 to yeah. 63. We knew it all along. There we go. That looked good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't yeah, know if that was good podcasting or not. Well, you know, the best part is the best part is all the fans left like 20 seconds ago to get to their cars, so they didn't see any of it. So it's all okay. At, at <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So parking so far away at PBA. So let's go so back to the the Breon Dixon, room, Dave. Breon Dixon, uh, yeah. Old Miss transfer. Uh, he's on campus like now, tomorrow, right? So yeah. for this semester, in classes tomorrow. Yep. And hopefully, one of the anyway. That we, yeah. And one of the things that we tweeted out was how. You think about um, when we had Riley, there was always this feeling of, like, you have to wait a year, wait two years, wait three years to get these things, you know, get his players in here. Look at what Frost has done in less than two months. We have ten new players on the team right now, immediately tomorrow, lifting weights already. Um, when you go uh, at the quarterback spot, uh, Martinez, high school kid, he's here already. Uh, Vedral, transfer quarterback, he can't play next year, but he's on the team already through spring. Uh, running back Bell and and knows the knows the knows offense. the offense. Yeah. He's he'll, if nothing else, he'll be a very helpful voice in that quarterback room. The running back position yep. got uh, an infusion of talent with the with the JUCO Bell wide receivers, a spot that needed some players. They've got Williams, the speedster JUCO guy. There's also a six six kid McGriff. He's a high school kid that's here right now. The offensive line is Farniak's younger brother, and on defense, uh, the linebacking crew got uh, the inside linebacker Honus. The outside linebacker is um, is Dixon, the the old Miss transfer. There's Williams, a DB, and then uh, even Pickering yep. is is a kicker. So that's ten guys. Frost isn't waiting three years to get this thing you know turned around. I mean he's he's getting guys on the field right now that are going to be there in spring. So that's the stuff that that has me really excited. I mean that he's he's transferring. Yeah, his that's roster the definition of of flipping a roster and not really even doing it through that much attrition. It's not like he's kicking guys no. to the side here I and mean, he's just taking advantage of the situation of having uh you know scholarships available and not just going after uh you know high schoolers but using the, Ju- the juco market and transfers to not just bring in more talent but um talent that he thinks will work for the system and really since everybody's starting at ground zero it's a great opportunity for for all these players uh did, honky did you mention uh at the wide receiver spot uh, Woodyard is he? I mean, there was some stuff that he wasn't enrolled yet, et cetera. What happened there? <laughs> um, he uh, did not make it this semester. Now, everything I've understood is that they're still planning on him being here summertime and everything. So, you know, who knows, right? I mean, just an academic issue. I don't. I can't say for he certain that it was academic done? or okay. it was just. There was so something that was yet. preventing him. But from I mean, being... he signed his papers, so it's not like he's going off somewhere else. I mean, he actually. Yeah, there's no decommitment or anything, and this is just him right. not being here in in the the spring. So again, as long as he makes it here in the in the summertime, as we would hope, even right there, there's again another JUCO player, a guy that's been out of high school for two years. That's another infusion of talent at a position of need come summertime. So. It's just this flipping of the roster, and and it's starting immediately tomorrow. So, 
It's something that, that Riley couldn't do in three years. And I'm not saying that all these guys are going to have an impact um, or that, that there, there won't be some busts here, but just the effort, the aggressiveness to flip the roster and infuse uh, some new talent is notable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, r- r- for the whole time when we were with Riley, it was like, hey, let's give him a chance to bring his players in. And we were waiting. <laughs> Here we are. We are still waiting for those players to show up and actually contribute in some yeah. ways. And know? some of that is also the taking advantage of the uh, kind of the, the culture of the system at the time. So three years ago, when, with Polini leaving and Riley coming in, I I don't know right wrong or whatever. It seemed like it took a year or two to we have to work some players out of the system. There was this toxic environment, sure. all that garbage. It well, was different. The, the good news is, hey, none of that's there right now. So so you know even even when a guy would leave early, like like Tanner Lee or Nick Gates, I mean they they left on good terms. They said great things about Frost in the process. Frost treated them well. To your point, Dave, we didn't have this mass exodus of players. So. Everything I've wanted to see is happening right now. We have a full roster of guys. It happens to also include 10 new guys that are very specifically recruited by this by this staff. And I think it's it, let the competition start in spring, and, and then will there be some guys that transfer abs- after spring? Absolutely. I, I guarantee it, you know. But that that's natural. That happens anytime anyways. But, but these guys, before they transfer, whoever does end up transferring – they're at least going to go through a spring. They're at least going to get coached by these guys and be evaluated by this staff and and go from there. Yep, I hear you, man. All right, good stuff, good stuff. You know, the uh, the flipping of this roster and the aggressive nature of, of Frost uh, makes me think of a, an article I read uh, earlier today, I think. It was Tom Lemming, the recruiting uh, guy who's been doing this for 35, 40 years, Uh was just going on and on about Scott Frost and and how his aggressive nature in recruiting actually reminded him of um, of Urban Meyer, uh, which is interesting. I mean, you know, the 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 notion of Meyer being at Utah, having that great success, and and going to Florida and having again immediate success. Uh, anytime you compare someone to someone like Urban Meyer, that's that's high praise. And from someone who who knows his stuff. Um, you know, it kind of makes me think, I mean, Urban Myers, I mean, that's a, that's a top echelon coach, one of the all time great coaches, at least of our, our generation. Um, n- no pressure on Scott Frost, right, Honk? That's, uh, I mean, Hey, that's, that's a Mount Rushmore of coaching right there when you're talking about an Urban Meyer kind of guy. So yeah, no pressure, yeah, but, you. um, yeah, but I boomer, you think, you, you think, uh, Urban Meyer deserves to be on a Mount Rushmore of, of coaching? On a Mount Rushmore of coaching, uh, no, but um, ooh, debatable. No, certainly not. Are we? We're I mean, just simply talking four best college coaches of all time, or most important that should be on the of all time Mount Rushmore. Oh heavens, no, no. He, I wouldn't be that quick to just say no. I mean, you're talking about well, a guy that's won three three yeah. national titles at two different schools. He took an undefeated, you know, Utah, you know, to the BCS. Basically, he didn't he go undefeated with Bowling Green too, or at least. Well, did he go undefeated with Bowling Green, or was it one loss? He had a good good season there with Bowling Green, but I'm still saying no. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying I wouldn't just I wouldn't just say it so quickly like no. I I I would. He's one of those. He's one of those (laughs) those top coaches. Yeah, but well, I mean, I I think any list that you 
you create, and maybe we should create a list, I don't know, of of the top coaches of all time in college football are, is going to be debatable. That's the point of having something like that. That's uh, perfect uh, off-season chatter, I guess. Uh, all of us could probably come up with five or ten of our own personal liking. Uh, but, you know, maybe, I guess, uh, Honky, maybe we could pull off a, a Twitter bracket of some sort or something well, like that. I mean, that let's think this through, Dave. I mean, what do you... What are we talking about doing? Because that's that. I mean, that's I'm interested actually in that the idea of it, but I don't know how exactly to to pull well, it off. What if we right? just uh, did some uh, group think here and threw out names? I've got three already. Um, I know would be on there. All right, and Boy. then well, maybe we could devise some sort of sixteen person bracket. You could do some polls off of that and incorporate Twitter that, that into it. Could be it some good stuff. All right, Boomer. All right, Boomer. Who, who's your top? top your three, my top. My three already. Is this not your top? <laughs> Well, not let's not let's not rank them yet. All right, right there's no ranking yet. Names you think deserve consideration uh, for our Mount Rushmore of coaching? Oh, certainly. Exactly. Uh, let's see. I'll I'll be fair to the world and I'll leave uh, you all jumbo steam off just just this once. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, uh, I, there's an argument to be made, but uh, three of people mm-hmm. that I think certainly I'd put on there: uh, Newt Rockney. You got to have him for consideration. What five yep. national championships? Really pioneered the forward pass, the T formation. I think he lost like what twelve games in thirteen years when he was at Notre Dame. Uh, That's hard. Most of them to Nebraska. Well, there's that. So we got that going for us. Uh, Definitely, since we're talking innovators, you'd also have to put I think Amos Alonzo Stag. You'd have to consider him on there. He, you know, pioneered things like onside kicks, shifts, laterals. You know, Statue of Liberty play. Won a couple titles with the Chicago Maroons. So I mean, there's that going for him. He had a you know long career. And, uh, you know, I would consider another uh, Husker coach to put on there. Uh, I think some people might agree with us here. Uh, Fielding Yost, I think, should definitely be a consideration there. Yeah. He was a Husker coach in 1898, but uh, probably better known for his success at Michigan. Uh, yes. They were, if you look at the stats for Michigan in, in his five years there, it's just incredible. The offensive juggernaut they had there and the defensive system they had. I almost, I I, almost well, think in some... In but some ways, I, mean, I think you could have like multiple Mount Rushmore because like one yeah, of them has to, to be like one of them that has to be like the innovators of or well, the, the, the creators of right football, right? Like yeah, here, the stats I, mean, I found, the stats I found for uh, Yost just to throw them out there, put them in perspective. In five years at Michigan, they scored two thousand eight hundred and twenty-one points. Their opponents had forty-two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I mean, yeah. Some of those stats are so ridiculous back then, though, because the game wasn't the game that we have today. I mean, you're sure, not even playing with sure. the same pads. You, you're. No. Oh, I, that's I don't even true. Know what the scholarships were like. I don't know what the were they even playing with the forward pass at the time. My point is not that those guys aren't very um, credible people. I mean, Rockney creating the forward pass is an example, and what you mentioned about Stag creating the onside kicks and all that. Those are very valuable things. It's also hard to compare what they were doing and accomplishing at that time to what Osborne, for for instance, was accomplishing seventy and eighty years later. It's just a it's a different game. Sure. So, so Honky, go ahead and uh, so Boomer threw out three and three classic sure. names, right? What a surprise uh, from, for me from a yeah. bygone era. And by the way, uh, Honky, who, who would you throw out there? Well, I'm not going to throw out Urban Meyer because he wouldn't be on mine. But I just my whole <laughs> point earlier was, I guess, not to get into this whole conversation. But my point earlier was not to so quickly dismiss him either. I mean, he he obviously had a lot of is he worth consideration right that's the yeah he, i guess I, I think he'd be somewhere in worth consideration if you're asking me to name three guys i'm going to obviously name osborne i think going 25 or tw- 255 49 and 3 in 25 years to average more than 10 wins a season to average less than two losses a season to win at least nine a season 
the, the what, 12 conference championships, I think, and three national titles, but could have won a title in 82 and could have won one in 83 and could have won one in 93. So, I mean, he's every bit as close in terms of the, the sheer number of those championships, too. Uh, Osborne, without a doubt. Um, I, I guess I would throw Bobby Bowden out there. I think what he did to build a program from absolutely nothing, Florida State was Central Florida, essentially, uh, back yep, in the late 70s. Right. And what I love about what I respect about how Florida State built themselves up is what they did with Nebraska in the 80s. They came to Lincoln four times without having a return visit. We, d- we didn't go to Tallahassee in the 80s. So as much as I had problems with us having to play Miami in the bowl games and, and all those away games we played in the bowls, I never had that issue when we played Florida State down there because I kind of felt like, in some ways, that was a little bit of payback. They came up to Lincoln and beat us twice in the 80s in Lincoln, and Bowden said that's what helped build his program. And the last guy that I'm going to mention, I'm, I'm going to throw two out. I don't care. Both Oklahoma guys, Bud Wilkinson and Barry Switzer, those two – Un- unreal sure. and what wilkinson did in the 50s was insane 75 or so straight straight uh conference wins i think it was and of course losing to nebraska to break that streak so those will be my four i i would just immediately throw out all right that's, that's fair that's that's all all good stuff um i guess i'm just i mean trying to think through the the biggest names out there both by wins and and overall success uh, measured by championships, I suppose. Uh, Bear Bryant has got to be up there, right? I mean, the guy won with uh, an amazing rate of success at Alabama over multiple decades, which I think is another another good um, indication of how good of a coach they are, right? I yeah. mean, winning in the 60s, 70s, all the way into their uh, early 80s um, is, is impressive. Um you know, I mean, Woody Hayes at Ohio State. Uh, now, it, Bo Schembechler, a lot of wins, never won a national title at Michigan. Tons of Big Ten titles, no, no national titles. Woody Hayes, though, did win multiple national titles. I, I mean, like, I don't know, four or five. And of punched them. multiple I mean, players. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, that, I don't know if that's actually a criteria, but sure. <laughs> too, um, soon. too soon. Too soon for, for that. All right, yeah. Too soon, too soon. You know, and I mean, also, I mean, uh, I, you know, Notre Dame's got just a list of great coaches, but Frank Leahy probably uh, might be the best Notre Dame coach after Newt Rockney with uh, a lot of national championships and um, sustained dominance for uh, a long period of time. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Boomer, is there other uh, old school guys that uh, come to mind that we're missing? Oh, uh, well, you know, you can always go with Pop Warner, of course. The, I mean, sure. yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. what his, you know, he was the coach forever, so he's got, you know, quite a big, you know, string there and yeah. just the name itself. I mean, football is John football Heisman. without him. What about, um, yeah. Uh, it's not, yeah. Not super old school, kind of that mid-range. Uh, Bernie, was it Bierman, I think, from Minnesota? Was he their big Bernie coach? Bierman, if Minnesota. I remember, won 8 million Lots titles. Lots yeah. championships there. Probably That's their golden, golden era for Minnesota football. Those are a couple others that would just yep. spring to mind as far as kind of older older name coaches, pre-TV era, essentially. Hey, what? Um, Bob yeah. Devaney, man. Dad Devaney, Duffy yeah. Doherty. You know. All right. I guess I don't know a ton about him, but Nalen from Tennessee I know is always – yeah, I'd have to research yeah, him a little more. Right. But he's got a name, I know. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, I mean, John McKay at, at USC yeah. had a, a quite a run there, actually, um, of great success. And we're even not even mentioning t- two obvious ones at this point now. Um, Joe Paterno, controversial to for other reasons, but undoubtedly a, a great coach and one with a huge amount of wins. Um, and then 
now more recently uh, Nick Saban. Urban Meyer, you can debate there on that one, right? But, I mean, at this point, Saban is less debatable yeah. in the sense that his success with titles. Now, not that many undefeated seasons, uh, but it's a little bit different era, I suppose, um, for various different reasons. But with uh, now six national championships to his name, it's, it's hard to argue that he's not at least worth very valuable um, consideration there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, since he's, and since he's still a, uh, not to not to move on from this discussion, I guess, but because I think this is something we can continue talking about, and yeah. and I think we we should incorporate some of the the redcasters in this. Like, how do we? I, I like this idea of doing some kind of Mount Rushmore thing. I just don't know. We're still kind of figuring out maybe how to do it, but but when you start talking about Saban, you're talking about current coaches, that gets into kind of a different conversation too, since they're they're still actively out there. It's like. You know, who are those best coaches right now? Like, we talk about it with football players that, that we rank them five-star and four-star. Well, who, obviously, Saban, we would call him a five-star coach. But who are fi- who are other five-star coaches? Who's a four-star coach? Who's a three-star? What makes you a four? What makes you a five? And so on. Yeah, you know, I mean, the star thing is, I mean, you're ranking coaches. I mean, that's essentially this point. You're trying to rank the, or at least tier the coaches that are active today when you're doing that, right? I mean, the star thing, you can say, you know, it's a five-star coach or four-star coach. I mean, with the players, that star system is built off of potential, um, right? How good are, do we think this guy's going to be? In coaching, you're actually not only saying how good would they be for the next five or ten years, but what have they already achieved, right? I mean, it's a little bit different, mm-hmm. isn't it? Right? I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, uh, it's it's deserving to to say that you know who are the top five or ten coaches today. You you have a very small pool of coaches that have won national championships, right? Active you know, Kirby Smart missed his active active right? coaches. What do you have? You have four now that with Stoops is gone. You basically have what Jimbo Fisher, Dabo, Urban, and and uh, Saban. Saban, that's it. Yeah, really. Am I yep. missing anyone else? That's right. You got four. No, that's it. No. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Kirby Smart missed his opportunity to join a very elite, yes, he did. elite club right yeah. now. Um, but um, that's what happens when you have uh, Meyer and, and Saban taking, what, nine of them between them over the last, you know, 15 years. You just uh, don't have that many uh, other coaches out there actually winning titles. So it's a pretty unusual situation, I would think. Well, anyway, good stuff, guys. Let's uh, let's think about this offline on the uh, the Twitter stuff, Honk. If we can uh, use this to get to sixteen and just go ahead and do some sort of bracket, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and we're Redcasters over the week. T- tweet at us, you know, email us, uh, gobigredcast at gmail dot com. Let us know your thoughts on on uh, coaches you think that maybe would be on that Mount Rushmore, and if you have ideas on how we can try to figure this out, maybe we'll do like a Twitter poll kind of thing. But I, I like the idea. We just basically came up with it now as we're talking so help us yeah, out yeah you can man. tell we're help real pre- real prepped here so scarlet colored glasses hey boomer we got any trivia this week trivia time i do i was inspired by our social media director's uh, weekend jump onto the vikings bandwagon to uh, salvage the uh, <laughs> what is a 25 year uh, husker uh, super bowl appearance streak so that's still alive good job saints and uh, so it led me to kind of wonder, who was the first Husker player ever to appear in a Super Bowl, and what team did he play for? It's a really good it question. Um, so it's been 25, it'll, uh, it will be 25 straight years, I is that correct? I believe so, if that tweet was correct, and why would we doubt our social media director? 
Right, exactly. <laughs> no, I think that is right, which is which is an amazing run. Now, some of those players were on practice squads, etc. But essentially, uh, over the last 25 years, a former Husker has received a Super Bowl championship ring, right? I mean, they've been a part of the team. So that's, that's, that's cool stuff. But the question is, who was the very first Husker to play in the Super yes, Bowl? Is that yes. correct? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Or win? To just appear in the Super Bowl. No. Just yeah. appear. Okay. Make an appearance. I, I, Honky, I think this goes all the way back to 1967. I mean, it's got to be way back. I mean, you Super go, Bowl one or two, I would think. But you have Green Bay against Kansas City in Super Kansas Bowl one. So, no. I mean, I well, I guess if it if we can ask uh, a little bit of a hint, Boomer. Is it Super Bowl one? No. That's a good hint. Meaning it's no, it's not Super Bowl one, and so that's your hint. Correct. Yeah. So we, Super Bowl two is Packers versus Raiders. Just off the top of my head, I'm just not going to know who'd be out there. I mean, who? Who? Let, let's take this a different approach. Honky and I could actually run through and name every single Super Bowl mm-hmm. uh, participant uh, from. Well, that would make for compelling that's not good podcast. podcasting. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just do that on the B side at some yeah. point. But the probably the better approach to answer this in a more more efficient manner is the name Huskers, who probably were in the NFL in the early or late sixties, early seventies. So, uh, Honky, let, let's work from that end. Like Bob Brown, yeah. Well, you know who Brown, else would have been? I mean, Claridge was in it, I think, for a little bit. Or you, jeez, uh, uh, I don't. I'd almost want to know what what Super Bowl was it? I mean, just even to be able to pick from teams. The correct answer is Super Bowl two. Okay, so right. so it's Raiders and Packers, Packers Raiders. Raiders. Holy smokes! And I mean the the Packers didn't have one in one, so either it was someone who had just joined the Packers that year, or it was someone from the Raiders. I'm drawing a blank. I'm just gonna say Bob Brown, and because I'm just drawing a blank. All right, you beat us, Boomer. Who, well, who is uh, it? partially a trick question because there are two Huskers on the uh, on the team that ah. year. They both played for the Oakland Raiders in 1967 uh, Super Bowl II. We had uh, cornerback Kent McLuhan and safety Warren Powers. So they, Warren yes, Powers. they both were on the Super Bowl, losing uh, Oakland Raiders, and still could he went on to be an, an assistant coach, and then uh, what the head coach at Missouri, I believe, in, nice. in Washington State, was it? Sounds even? correct. Yeah. Well, I think so, he beat a long us. and glorious history, yeah. really, for Huskers in the Super Bowl. Dates back to, yeah. Warren well. Powers, I think, beat Nebraska with Washington State, like in the ga- for, oh, first really? game of, like, the 77 or 78 season, something like that. And then and then didn't he go – I think he went on to being the Missouri head coach after that. So who was the Missouri coach when they beat us in 78 after we had, had beat Oklahoma finally? I presume that was Warren Powers, but apparently maybe that's actually before his era. Yeah, he was head coach of Missouri in 78, so, yeah. Okay, so Honky's wrong. I'm right. Perfect. I like this. Wait, whoa, whoa. Wait, what are we? So Warren Powers was the Missouri coach in 78, so unless he coached both Washington State and Missouri in 1978, he was the Missouri head coach. Not the Washington State coach. He might have been the Washington State he coach. He was in 77. 77 yes. Yeah. yeah, so. He, there you go. Well, yeah. good Lord. I was right about two things. He beat us at 
at Washington State, and then he went on to Missouri, and he beat us there. So it's a real turncoat, so isn't he? Exactly you know, I wonder we don't honor him much. You know, yeah. I think you had made the statement that you thought he was the head coach at Washington State and beat us in '78. I said '77 or '78. If only we were taping <laughs> oh. this and could go back and find out later. So. Goodness gracious! So did they beat us I was in '77. Yes, my uh, gosh, I was one yeah. year off talking about that he beat us at Washington State. I don't get any credit for that. <laughs> all right. In fact, all I even right. said the right year. Credit. I just said it was either '77 or '78, and then he must have gone from Washington <laughs> State to Missouri, and then he beat us the next year. Yeah. Goodness gracious, you guys! Are well, you know that Missouri proud. beat us in '78, hockey? I, I mean, mean it's, it's not like that's a mystery. Everybody knows gosh. Missouri beat us in '78. Would this be good enough for proud. Jeopardy? So, I don't think so. Celebrity Jeopardy, maybe, but. Yeah, regular. Oh, man. man, you can't debate this guy about Husker history whatsoever, guys. Oh, man, just rough. It's rough. All right. Well, uh, good, good trivia yeah, question. Good job, uh, um, yeah. So I, I don't know where Warren Powers goes into our next segment, but uh, I tell you, uh, hockey. I think you know we we want to chat a little bit about. Uh, the uh, the conditioning here. I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting articles about uh, Zach Duvall and Husker Power and his relationships with, you know, Frost going back to the '90s and Boyd Epley and, um, you know, are we throwing Mark Philippe under the bus or are we actually saying he just a different style? I mean, I mean, what are your expectations here for the next couple of months uh, before we actually see these guys in in spring ball? Yeah, it, I think that's a really good point, Dave. That there's a lot that gets talked about with, with strength staff specifically from one one staff to the next. And the old staff Everybody's always different. did everything wrong, and the new staff does everything right. And so when yep. we kind of get past that premise that, that you know, I actually met uh, Mark Phillip and Philippe Phillip on a number of occasions. Uh, I knew someone that was his neighbor, and so it's a long story. But anyways, super nice guy. He got guy. bread <laughs> from his neighbor. Yeah, her, his neighbor would give me bread. It's a weird story I'm not even going to get into. But point is, got to meet him a number of times. Actually, we gave him some bread even one time. And, um, and Wait, what? <laughs> um, you broke bread I, with I broke bread. Super nice guy. And, you know, uh, he was so welcoming. I mean, I talked to him about football, and he's like, oh, you should come down to the weight room and, and, and all that good stuff. I mean, I, I'm not here to – I don't know enough about it. I wasn't in the, the weight room. Did when, you take advantage of the weight room offer? The, were you lifting weights with the team? Or? No, I was not lifting okay. weights. But right. point is – He has looked buff lately. point is know? I wasn't in the weight room with them lifting, so I'm not really in position to talk about how how great they were at, at uh, you know doing their job in the past or not. And, and you hear a lot of people right now very specifically saying that they were doing something wrong before. And Long story short, what I like about – Everything I've heard about Duvall, and my gosh, the guy he was part of Husker Power in the in the 90s and everything, I'm very happy with who we have right now. There's no doubt about that. And and he comes with Frost specifically from UCF. And and I think that's important because when you think of, like, uh, Philip coming from UC, USC with, with, with uh, Riley, right. they didn't have any specific background together. They, you know, they – that was the first time they were working together. Well, that's not any issue here with, with Duvall. So they'll – this is just another offseason for Duvall and Frost now working together. You know, and so it all starts tomorrow. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dave. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying Duvall actually won, like, uh, Strength Coach of the Year, right, from the National Association or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what he was doing with Frost at UCF clearly is being recognized as working. And um, I, I'll, I'll let you dive into, like, what you expect here. Mm-hmm. But I guess the one thing I just want to point out, I guess, is this idea that, you know, some of the UCF speed 
or now the future Nebraska speed actually is coming from the weight room, right? Yes. It's, it's something that they actually specifically feel like they can actually get more out of their players. I think it's really interesting. Absolutely, and that's where I think, you know, from one staff to the next, instead of it being that the last staff did something wrong, a lot of times it's, it's different staffs focus on different things. I can very much right. recall when Pelini first got here and James Dobson was the strength coach, they looked at our defensive backs and they said they have stiff hips, and that was something that they really focused on right now, starting at this time of the year. We're going to focus on getting the hips loosened up on defensive backs. So that's just one example of like one staff to the next doing something different. To your point, Duvall, it's about speed, right? I mean, we're going to focus on getting these guys fast. And there's immediately a position group that comes to mind that, that intrigues me here for the next couple of months because um, what's going to go on at the quarterback spot in the weight room is completely different, I think, in this offense than had Jebbia and P.O.B. just sure. stayed in a, you know, a pro-style drop-back attack, right? It, it would be a completely different style of training. I'm interested to see, you know, does Jebbia come back looking a little different in shape in terms of, is he a little more cut? Or not Jebby, I'm sorry, a P.O.B. Does he come back a little more cut? Is he a, is he a tenth of a, of a, you know, a second faster on the right. 40? Because that's something that's going to be asked out of him more now. And just things like hmm. that, again, it's not focusing on that somebody else did it wrong. It's just that they're going to be doing it different now moving forward. And right. so that QB room really is intriguing to me. And, of course, Jebbia put on some pounds, right? Right. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it in that context. And that's a really good point. I mean, Jebbia just gaining the extra weight necessary to run this offense and POB, maybe picking up some speed. I mean, both of them probably could pick up speed. That's, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. thought process there. Another, another position group that comes to mind is, is the defensive, uh, the defensive line and Boomer. I mean, you watched the, the, the peach bowl there. I mean, how big were those D linemen that UCF had? Oh, they large. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 330, 320-pound guys, right? And so yeah. when I look at, like, the Davis twins, that becomes a, a, an interesting group to me because I look at those guys not as nose tackles but as DNs. So they're 290, 295, 285 right now. What what happens to them over the next two months? How quick, Honky, how quick can someone change? I mean, you mentioned, I think, last podcast, you know, what are they going to do with Freedom, for example, mm-hmm. or Alex Davis? I mean, could those guys go back to a linebacker spot? I mean, would, you're either going to gain 20 pounds or lose 20 pounds. Can they do that in eight, ten weeks? You hear about that. Yeah, you hear about it all the time. In fact, that Luke McNitt uh, article that was in the, I think it was in the World Herald, where the, he was talking about yeah. the, the old staff and then this staff, he said, you know, all his big games, big gains came in the next two months, basically. And that right. was another two guys that you just mentioned, Freedom and Alex Davis. This is the time to figure it out. Are you going to have your hand in the in the dirt next year? Or are you going to be standing up, you know, as an outside linebacker? This is the time to kind of figure that out because those guys are kind of tweeners. Um, a guy like Guy Thomas, who's now gone through one redshirt year, but this is really the off season for a guy like Thomas. If he wants to be, if he wants to be a, a, a big time player for us next year as a redshirt freshman, man, this is the time. Get that body built up because we don't have a lot of outside rushers that are built like him. And actually, yeah. um, Breon Dixon could end up being in some kind of role like that, too, the Ole Miss transfer. But, but Guy Thomas kind of has a special body type. And then one other guy that came to mind, and this went off of a trivia or a Twitter poll that I had out there right now, which is, and it's still out there for another day. Probably when this goes live, the, the poll will be closed. But it was asking on the offense and on the defensive side of the ball, like what one position group, if you could just magically, you know, shake your wand and you can you could produce one more player what would you want and on 
on offense. Right now it's running away with it. 67% they want uh, another offensive lineman on the team, and specifically an offensive tackle. And I'm looking at that right now and saying, Christian Gaylord to me is an I would love to see what, what the staff can do with him. He's a, now going into his fourth year. He's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 300 pounds. And I'd like to, I think the tackle position is going to be changing. No longer do we mm-hmm. need the all-American left tackle pro-style five-star kid. I don't think, I, I don't think we need that in this, in this system. And I go back to the 90s, and I think about a guy like Wiegert. You know, think of Zach Wiegert. He, he, won, he, he would not have been the big five-star kid coming out of high school. He won the Outland right. as a right tackle from Fremont, Fremont Bergen. Bergen. Is that right? Wins the Outland Award as a right tackle, not protecting the backside of a dropback passer, but being a, a right tackle in a in a option offense. Um, you know, I, and I'm not here to knock Zach Weger. I mean, I, I respect the heck out of what he did, but this guy ends up not as a first round pick. It went third or fourth round. Makes it in the pros for a number of years. Has a great career, but he's a guard, not as a tackle. Right. So you know. This 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 concept that we have to get that six foot eight tackle that is that is this perfect backside protector yada yada that was for another offense that's for that's for a time behind us now I think moving forward I think we have guys on the on the team right now that can play that position so it again it starts tomorrow it starts with a guy like Christian Gaylord starts with Matt Farniak starts with Brock Bando starts with um, Hymas you know those are the guys that that are more than likely going to be sure. that tackle not some not to our Twitter, Twitter poll question, not some mythical guy that we don't have right now. No, that's an, I mean, you're on a roll here, Hunk. I think it's another really good point that I hadn't really thought too much about in the sense that because of the offensive scheme, the demands upon the offensive line positions and tackle in particular are different. And so uh, where we've struggled for the last three years, maybe just, I mean, it's the same set of guys out there, but because of what we're asking them to do, it could be a very different result on who ultimately is the starting five and, mm-hmm. and the success that, that comes from that five. It, it's yeah. interesting, Dave, because I, I know you don't kind of do as much on the Twitter side, so maybe I maybe you haven't seen some of this discussion, but we've had some we've had some interesting discussion about that poll where okay, so sixty seven percent of the people think it's offensive line and then it's kind of ten and ten and ten percent for wide receivers, right. quarterbacks and running backs. And some people, I mean they are just hellbent it's got to be an offensive lineman and then the next person's like oh you know it's absolutely wide receivers open up your eyes guys we need wide receivers you know and I, we kind of had this discussion on a previous redcast but I, the position i really think on offense if i could magically just say poof i want somebody it would be quarterback i'd always want another one if possible and specifically if it's about having a guy on the, the roster for spring ball i just wish we had a fourth eligible quarterback for the next season because we technically have a fourth with Noah Vedral but he can't play right so we really are going into spring with three QBs Martinez P.O.B. and Jebbia I would personally like to have a fourth because I just believe there's going to be some attrition at the end of the season and you lose one guy one guy out of those three and and going into the next season looks completely different and we talked about that on last week's show a little bit was the importance of not necessarily running off you know uh Jebby or, or POB after this semester, if, but I don't even know how to say that because if, if it's not working for them, you don't want them just to stick around, just to stick around, yeah, but you want to have They're going to feel that they have a legitimate shot to win the starting, you know, starting mm-hmm. quarterback position come September, or they, they won't. If they feel like they have a legitimate shot, they're probably going to stick around because you're not just going to transfer out, out of the blue here. 
um, without a better situation already already presented to yourself. But if it's obvious that they're not going to start, they're going to go. And, and at some point, one of them definitely will go. I mean, the odds of both P.O.B. and, and Jebbia uh, seeing their careers through at Nebraska, I think, would be very low. Mm-hmm. That's probably was even the case under Riley. At some point, they one of the two were gonna was going to win that quarterback position. The other one was going to go try to find somewhere else. And that's, that's how it just works these days. I mean, look at uh, Georgia, for God's sakes, right now, right? Yep. They have Fromm, who... Was a true freshman started the national championship game. He replaced uh, Eason, who was a true freshman the year before and had lost position through injury. And now you have the number one quarterback Fields coming in. They have three guys that all want to play. I think did uh, and one of you guys might know. Did Eason already announce that he's transferring? I I, I haven't heard, heard anything that somewhere. About Boomer, maybe you can look that up. I think he said he was gonna. He might be moving to Washington or something like that, right. which could be an amazing fit for him. And Dave, person, but. Dave, that's so interesting. You mentioned that because the same thing could be said about Alabama. I mean, Hertz starts the oh. national championship game, and by the end of it, yeah. he may not be the starter next year, and he might be transferring. You, you all of a sudden you hear He'll, his name getting thrown I, all over the place. Would think it's likely that he transfers, <laughs> and you think about that when he he actually won that position as a true freshman. Uh, Alabama had multiple quarterbacks transfer out because of him, and he's just gonna go. He's only gonna start two years. Uh, he's uh, gonna win a national championship as a starter, but the odds of him being there, I, I think personally, are, are real. Yes, Eason is likely to transfer to Washington there, Dave. You are correct. Yep. There you go. So, I mean, so anybody who's worried about the musical chairs and quarterback position, et cetera, it's going to happen. The attrition is going to happen. To your point, Honky, the more guys in the room, the better. Yes. Because at some point, you're going to get the guy that, that works out and is going to be a, a home run yeah, I, uh, starter. I, and that was the so. thing. When I when we asked that question on Twitter, I intentionally I wanted to stay off and not not try to answer a bunch of, bunch of the responses because – I wanted that back and forth between people saying O-line and wide receivers. And one guy was, was really uh, really adamant about, like, look at the roster numbers. We need receivers and all that. I, I don't, I'm not saying that person's wrong. What I'll say is is that quarterback is the most important position. And look at Riley's tenure here as an example of that. Like, if you can't yeah. get that thing figured out, and the, and the sooner the better. And, and with wide receivers, do, could we use some more? Sure. In fact, we have. Again, we have – Williams and McGriff right now starting tomorrow that we didn't have a month ago. So we've added a few that are going to be here in spring. And and with positions like wide receivers, we'll have walk-ons. You'll flex out a, a, a tall tight end. You'll put a you'll put a running back out as a as a slot on a play. You can do a lot of things to manufacture depth there. If you don't have quarterbacks, you're in a world of hurry of hurt. And that's where I think it gets missed a little bit right now. I think people look at the numbers and go, "Hey, Martinez is here. Awesome." I'm looking at our QB spot right now. I'm like, we've got three guys that have very little experience, and there's a op, there's a chance of attrition. That's where I was like, if I could just manufacture a player and just say, boom, you're on the team, that would be that would be a right. spot. And and it's also a discussion for another day. But if somebody did leave, then then you're worried or you're wondering, can you get a grad transfer late? That's where a Burrow from Ohio State, which sure, you know, and that's that's assuming a lot. He's competing for a position in spring there, so. Yeah, I, I think it's tough whether it's Burrow or even a JUCO guy at this point because if you're that type of if if you're, if you're in that type of position as a quarterback, you want to go somewhere where you really feel like you're going to get a, a a legitimate shot to start. And going into a, a competition is not exactly what you're looking for, yeah. right? And so it's tough to see Burrow or anybody else just jumping and coming to Nebraska because. 
I mean, they may have a one in five shot of, of being the guy, right? They always think they're going to be the guy, but you'd love to find some spot where you feel like you really got some, some an opening there. And yeah, I don't know. It's tough this yeah. this, this late in the game. We, you know, Hawk, sounds like we've had some really good interaction there on Twitter. Maybe I should follow along a little bit closer with you guys. Uh, we also have uh, some some uh, some mailbag questions. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, we've been asking all these weeks for mailbag stuff, and we get it typically. But I'm just extremely lazy a lot of times and don't write down the questions and don't you? don't really? bring them over to the show. And and I think this is a segment that. Since we've been getting so much interaction with you Redcasters out there, let's go ahead and ask those questions. It only makes sense. Uh, so first right. question uh, uh, from Torque, and he said, uh, why don't we recruit o- uh, Ohio? And I think he had some past you know, history in Ohio, this, this Torque guy. Why don't we recruit Ohio mm-hmm. like we did Texas um, back in the, the Big Ten days? So that you know, his question is, why are we not focusing enough on that? I'll, I'll throw that out to you guys. Boomer, do you want to start with that? Ah, well, I guess I haven't done any research. I suppose that'd be something we can do, kind of look at how we're recruiting Ohio. Um, you know, again, that's going to be a challenging state to recruit, just like any of them will be. I mean, good grief. How many how There's many Division so I programs are there in Ohio? I mean, not even counting Power 5 schools. You've got all basically half the MAC is located in Ohio, oh, plus plenty it's of, It's shocking you know, how many are. Yeah, plus a lot of competitive FCS programs. So that's going to be a tough state to recruit. Um, so there is that. Yeah, the yeah. top, the top echelon is obviously Ohio State, and then the the bordering Big Ten. Yeah, SEC I mean you still got you know Penn State, Notre Dame, and Notre Dame, Dame Michigan's just across the border. Michigan State. I mean that's that's not an easy place to recruit. So, and then if you're trying to find someone a little bit below the radar, you feel like, hey, this is a three star guy that I think has a lot of potential, and you know, Ohio State's passed on him or whatever. Then you have all these max oh, schools. Yeah. Well, right even there. that, you so, still got I mean, you know Pitt, is... Cincinnati, you know all the other just smaller level schools yeah, that are going to be point. competing for that sort of that sort of talent too. So that is tough. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's going to be a challenge in California, Texas, Florida, where else you go. But I, I don't know. I guess without seeing the numbers, I don't know. I, I guess we don't hear the huge names that we get out of there. But sure, I guess you know, and and I think there is a lot of noise made. They should Clemson pulled someone out of Ohio, right? Um, and says Urban Myers on this end of his career or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Uh, good work, Dabo, and making him uh, believe that line. But uh, the, the point, I guess, is that uh, Ohio, big population state, but not the biggest, lots of schools to compete against. And I would argue, I guess, maybe the, the, the culture of Ohio high school football, there's so many options nearby that a lot of those kids stay in-state or – uh, just across the border in, in a, a bordering state. Whereas if you look at California or Texas or Florida, they have so many other schools from across the country in those states that it's more common, just raw percentage-wise, to see some kids leave the state and go Yeah, I think that, that'd be an interesting interesting point. I, I, that culture thing is probably a big part. I mean, you know, if you're a kid growing up in Ohio – you probably do dream of playing at Ohio State or maybe Notre Dame or something like that. I mean, how often does a kid growing up in California really have their dream to play at Cal or UCLA or something like that? It probably just doesn't yeah. doesn't quite have the same draw or charm to it, I wouldn't think. you know, that, that That's a good point, Darren. Yeah. That's a curious approach. Well, yeah. It's probably like USC or Bust out there. Yeah. I, I also think just the premise of it, because Texas was specifically brought up, I think there's a little bit of historical relation that you have to do and look at, at Texas – we were not a traditional big Texas recruiting school. 
I mean, no. look at the, the best teams of the 80s, the 90s. It wasn't like we were just loaded with Texas talent. We did get like a Turner Gill out of there. You, you'd spot Yep. You'd spot recruit it and get very specific players. Really, where you where we hit our our biggest Texas you know haul would have been in the mid two thousands as as uh, Callahan really put a focus down there, and that didn't always lead to our best teams. And in some ways, no. And and even those numbers still we're talking maybe ten to I don't have exact numbers on me, but maybe ten to twelve of the players on the entire team were from Texas. And what happens when you're when you're recruiting a, a major recruiting focused area that has a big time powerful school or two in the area those teams are gonna pick the top kids right and if we're not going in there just spot picking individual kids if we're just sitting down there and living down there in texas and trying to recruit all texas kids we're gonna end up competing a lot against you know the smus and the texas techs and the baylors and those are the kids you're gonna pull and if you're gonna do that if that's gonna be your emphasis anyways why don't you just get really good in the 500 mile radius why don't you, I mean, to use that, that the Riley term, 500 sure. miles, why don't you just get every single kid you can out of KC and St. Louis and obviously Nebraska and Minneapolis? And so Clemson, just like they went into Ohio uh, a year ago, they also went into Kansas City and, and took that one Isaiah kid or whatever he was, a wide receiver that Nebraska oh, yeah. wanted. Why don't we just get those guys? And that, to me, is the recruiting emphasis. That 500-mile radius, if if you can get out of a 20 recruit class we talked about this in our first redcast go back to it redcasters listen to our first show (laughs) mac and i got in a argument over it but i was like if you just use 20 players as an average class that's your your average class 20 of them i said 10 of them should be should come from that 500 mile radius i actually even should increase that i think 60 percent. i think 12 of those kids can come from 500 miles because that's pulling kids from your area dave out in denver that's pulling kids from from dallas that's pulling kids from chicago and and St. Louis and all that, including, yes, Nebraska, which I said at the time, and I still stand by it. I think five kids a year could easily come out of the state. Easily. Well, yeah, 2019 is going to be a bumper crop, it well, looks like. And, and so it's funny. should be interesting how many And, we Dave, get there. it's funny. It, people say it's a bumper crop next year. And, and, and you can look at it and you go, well, right away there's two kids from Omaha Burke, and they're going to be recruited by a lot of teams nationally, but they're also recruited by Nebraska. But on top of yep. that, Snodgrass from York. And Nelson from from uh, Scotts Bluff, those are kids that yeah. right now, if Nebraska doesn't offer those kids, they don't have the same shine. They don't look; it doesn't look the same way. It they it looks like we have these D one recruits because Nebraska's actually gone out. We 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 went out and made and the those offer. Those guys were Riley Riley offered those and guys Riley offered them. I'm, Friday, I'm giving him so the credit, right? Sure. Point is, yeah. you make the offer. If you don't make the offer, it doesn't look as bumper cro- you know as big of a bumper uh, crop there. There's a kid Piper up in. In Norf- uh, Norfolk next year, 2019 kid that, that got the offer first from Iowa. And no doubt Nebraska right. will come in if they haven't already. But the point is, right there is five. Right there is five D1 kids, and we haven't even thought that hard. And my point is, that's not necessarily that unique. Nebraska has a lot of years like that, but if we aren't the ones offering a kid, then it hurts your own brand. I, you. I mean uh- – I guess we'll find out at the end of the end of the the recruiting cycle how many actually get offered. Not only just from Nebraska, but sure. others. I mean, I think five is five to seven is probably pretty typical this year. It might. I mean, since we already have that many names out there, it might be ten or twelve or whatever. Sure. So we, regardless, we could go on for. My point is, I, I love uh, the fact Mil- that Nebraska is the first one to offer some of those kids, and those ones that yeah, are all being offered by the Iowas and stuff first in the future. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we'll be the first. So. Anyways, good question, Torque. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the question. Um, Mailbag question two. Question two. Travis Wilbeck uh, asked uh, 
on our Facebook channel. Uh, is anyone gonna quit yet from lifting weights? Uh, <laughs> no, Travis. Who quits first? No, Travis. You never, we, you never we, started, right? Is that correct? So, okay. Yeah, I don't think I don't think any of the players are gonna quit from from lifting weights, Travis. We we appreciate the question though. Hockey played four years of uh, high school football, never lifted weights, and it showed. <laughs> it, it absolutely showed. <laughs> And our third question, actually, I think it it can take us into our our last segment of the show. Nebraska ball. Nebraska ball. Okay, and this is from Believe in Tim, who uh, said there's 20 – can you guys talk 20 minutes on the – I love that handle, Believe in Tim. Believe in Tim. And he says, uh, can you talk 20 minutes on the 131 zone and how it is changing lives in basketball today? (laughs) (laughs) That might be a special radio. Who couldn't want to talk? Who didn't want to talk uh, 20 minutes about the one three one zone? That's great stuff. Um, well, I, I don't know if it deserves 20 minutes, and I, I sure probably am not the right person to talk 20 minutes about the the one three one zone. But it is being uh, deployed effectively by Miles in spot situations, which has uh, caused general confusion um, by the opposing offense. Uh, uh, Penn State game there last Friday was another example helped us bring back. I mean, geez, what was, I mean, six of minutes ago, we were still down by 13 points. Uh, brought out the one, three, one negated their big guy Watkins, I believe. And, um, created lots of turnovers, uh, led us to get to overtime. It's, uh, you know, I, I think the trick there with, with miles who we've talked about this before is a devoted man to man guy is, um, if you're not playing that, that zone defense or any zone defense on a regular basis, but you're good enough at it to deploy it uh, when needed. It's tough for the opposing team to really practice or prepare for it that much. Uh, so it, it can be very effective in, in small doses. Um, unless you become Jim Beheim and, and commit to zone defense across the board, typically that's how it's used by a lot of college coaches. So I, I think it's great. He keeps on doing it. I don't know. Hockey, Boomer. Your thoughts on the one three one seven? I think it's going to nicely, Dave. Yeah, I'll Thank let you. Boomer finish up with anything if he wants to. No, I, I thought it was good. I, I thought it was compelling and rich, so it's good. Mm-hmm. Ah, thank you, thank you. I think it, I mean it's it's an interesting defense, especially at the college level. I mean, I, I, zone was illegal in, in NBA for for a long, long time, uh, just in the sense that a lot of rosters these days, you don't have a lot of bigs generally just one maybe and you have a lot of uh, wing players and the one three one's probably relatively effective against that uh so it 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 works well in those situations and so uh yeah i I think miles has found something there i don't think i saw it deployed tonight i could have missed it i wasn't watching that closely but as long as he continues to use it uh at the right time it's going to continue to be effective i think that's my take well Thank you, Believe in Tim, for your question. And uh, continue, uh, Redcasters, to send us your questions to gobigredcast at gmail.com, or you can just tweet or Facebook them to us. Uh, and uh, But this is a, it's a nice transition into Nebraska ball, and obviously you heard us earlier tonight at the beginning of the show uh, listening to or watching the last minute of the uh, Illinois game. And so uh, we got the win last second. Very exciting. Uh, I ran around the basement a little bit. Uh, so this was a this was a good win. We are what now? Is it thirteen and seven and four and three in the in the Big Ten? That is correct. 
Yeah, we really needed that win right there. You, A, you cannot lose that type of game at home against one of the lowest teams in the conference. That would have been a bad loss. Um, and then on top of the Penn State loss on Friday, that would have been a tough two-game swing there where you had some momentum after beating Wisconsin. So thank God that uh, Palmer hit that one because, whew, um, yeah, hard to explain. I, I don't know who I saw. Someone on, on, on Twitter was saying, you know, what, before this game there was what, 12, 12 games left. Is that right? And they're like, oh, we should yeah. go 9-3. and three. I'm like, wow, 9-3. and three. Yeah, that's, that's, that's well, I don't know if we, we should, uh, but, but that would be – that's probably the ultimate goal if they have hopes, I think, for a glorious postseason. Yeah, I, I hear you. I just think you're discrediting the Big Ten. Sure, it's a down year, but and the Penn State's a great example. I mean, we, we went into that game, and uh, you're like, oh, my God, Penn State, they're horrible. We should beat them. Well, everybody thinks Nebraska's horrible, guys. I mean, <laughs> no one's expecting anything from us. Put the shoe on the other foot. Well, we can usually deliver on that. Penn State fans are like, come on, it's Nebraska. Why can't we beat these guys at home, right? We can usually deliver on the not not accomplishing anything. So that's that's the best part about it. Well, so is Penn State. I mean, their their basketball program and our basketball program is mere images. Pretty much. It's just scary. We work in the conference nicely. And and what's Illinois' basketball team specifically this year? I mean, this was the absolute must win of must win. They they haven't won a a conference game yet this year. I don't think they have. I think they're 0-6 or something like that. They're not good. Yeah, they're not good. Yeah. So um, can and the can't you know can we finish that? Uh, sure, sure. I mean, we've got to get hot. Uh, this Jordy thing, and this is something that we we haven't really. I, I mentioned in my hot take at the beginning with Jordy, and you know when we did a recorded last week, he was a starter on the team just getting done with that Wisconsin or about a week ago. We were just talking about Wisconsin coming up the next day, which he had a great game. Right. I thought it was the best game of the season. Best game of the year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to give Miles a little bit of credit for a second. Think about the situation. We've had so many we're, – we're, it's ingrained in us as Nebraska basketball fans that the worst thing possible that can happen is going to happen, right? And so we've seen it with Robert Salee, or we've seen it with Andrew White leaving in the middle of, of summer. So it only made sense that Jordy's going to leave right as the team starts to get some chemistry and everything seems to go good. He's going to just leave. And he comes up to, to Tim Miles – on a Thursday that they're going to fly out to Penn State, and he goes, hey, coach, I'm leaving. Now, that's just – it's beaten into us that the worst situation is going to come from that, and yet Miles has handled it well. He, You know, he, 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 he's given Jordy a little bit of space. They, they had that conversation apparently today that they were going to have, and Jordy's going to come back for the rest of the season. I, I just think it's big, even though I know he hasn't, he hasn't been great this year, but I, I'm glad that we've got him back. Yeah, I, I think if Jordy was there – at Penn State on Friday night, we, we might have won that game because that, he would have helped that matchup uh, quite a bit. Uh, so I hear you there. I mean, I, I don't get what was going on mm-hmm. there, and it's not like he actually had put up the stats to deserve to continue to start, but um, uh, whatever. I mean, if everybody is on the same page going forward, mm-hmm. it's just a little hiccup. And, uh, yeah, it's no time right now to be uh, – uh, letting someone like that go because we need uh, all hands on deck if we actually expect to to make a postseason run. Yeah, and Boomer, your thoughts? Yeah, I think if Jordy can come back and play and can contribute at least to a modest degree, I think it's going to be huge. I mean, you look at these last two games: a squeaker to Illinois and a squeaker to Penn State. And what the difference in these games was was second chance points. 
for both Penn State and Illinois. Yeah. I think uh, uh, Illinois had, what, 14 second-chance points to our four, and Penn State was 18 to, like, our eight. So they're, there's 10 points right there. We're just giving up in super close games that, you know, you, you cut that in half, and there's a the difference. We win both these games in a much more comfortable manner. And we're getting out-rebounded to something fierce. We are the worst rebounding team in the Big Ten. Uh, the stat I checked, you know, That's mid-game, concerning. we are the only team with a, you know, a negative rebounding margin. We get out-rebounded, you know, more than anyone else in the league, and that's just making these games so much tougher than they need to be. Uh, if we can just get that tied up, get Jordy back, just, again, get some modest contribution out of him, kind of get that chemistry back. You know, you do have that potential to make some noise here at the end of the end of the or the second half of the season so that's going to be important i just want to see what they can do with this just kind of get back to the swing of things so i think it's important to continue to try to stay above 500 in conference um so that way they're not behind the eight ball at any one particular point which it would be very different than what we've experienced yeah this next game coming up is going to be tough i mean this will be an interest uh, one of those good last chances for a quality win so let's see what they can do we got 11 11 games left and this is a big one. I think you're right, Boomer, uh, because it's a home game versus Michigan, who has been playing very well lately, top top um, four of the, the league right now. And a win versus Michigan at home would go a long ways uh, because then you have to go on the road to Ohio yep. State. Ohio State's played much better than expected this year. That's not going to be a given. Uh, then at the on the road versus Rutgers, uh, Rutgers just gave Michigan State a run, right? Yeah. So not presuming anything there. Then you come back, have Iowa at home. But then you're on the road again at Wisconsin and Minnesota. So you got a stretch here where uh, it, it's every, it's, these are gimme, uh, you know, uh, uh, 50-50 games. I, yeah. You just got to win more than there's, you lose. There's no gimmies when it comes no, to Nebraska no. basketball. And, yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I and Michigan's a team that's had our number right? for years for some reason. They, well, they the, seem, you know, they break streaks at the vault. They, oh, yeah. you know, clobber us when we're at Ann Arbor. Their team is just can't seem they're to get only, over that hump. So They're the only team in the Big Ten that we haven't beat yet. Yeah, so, that's exactly yeah, it. Oh, wow. so we to need put to, that in perspective. This, this is that good. And I've been – Again, I'm kind of critical of Nebraska ball for refusing to take that step forward when the opportunity's there, and this is probably one of those last great opportunities to take that step forward this season. So let's let's see if they'll and, they'll you know grab at it. And how important is is every one game? Think about that right now, Dave. You mentioned being being above 500 is really important. I, I agree 100. percent We're four and three right now. We're above 500. How different does five and two feel though? And beating Penn State. Is that difference right now between yeah. four and three and five and two, and you just—that's how key every every game is right now moving forward. And so, you know, this Jordy thing, like we, I mentioned it, I'm glad that we have him back. At the same time, that's not—you know—Jordy's got some work to do now. He—he's probably gonna have to mend some fences. He's gonna have to earn some trust back from 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 teammates, from coaches. I don't know that he's the starter. I have no idea. I know that they replaced yeah. him in, against Penn State. They replaced him as a starter with du- with uh, Doobie. Tonight, uh, it wasn't Doobie. It was Roby was out there, and they even took Evan uh, Taylor out, and they replaced him with Gill. So the starting lineup tonight was Gill and Roby and Watson, Copeland, and uh, Palmer. And Taylor ended up having probably one of his best games of the season coming off the bench, where he was really good a year ago. And so, right, huh. you know, it's it, it's just interesting because Gill was a sixth, you know, kind of the sixth man on the team, but today he came out starting. So. I don't know that maybe this mixes some things up here for the next 11 or so games, 
But uh, I'm glad that we have Ro- uh, Jordy back. I'm, you know, it, it was a weird week with all that. But but moving forward, I mean, this team, this is we talked about it before. No game is 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 a gimme. But there's no games out there I think left that we just can't compete either. We're, we're done playing Michigan State. We don't play Purdue again. So, yep, that's right. You know, can we go nine and three? I don't know, but but we can win these games. Yeah, there's a lot of games here in a short amount of time. To be honest with you, I mean, uh, we have have Michigan on Thursday. Is that right? I mean, we're gonna have Penn State last Friday, Illinois today, Michigan on on, on Thursday, and then you come back around and you have Ohio State, Rutgers, Iowa, Wisconsin, all still in the month of January. So there's a lot of basketball here in this month uh, before we turn the page. So we'll have a better feel, I think, by that. And point. that's all because what we're playing that we're playing that week early. In yeah. is it in New York that we're playing? That's correct. We're at Madison Square Garden for the Big Ten tournament and doing it a week ahead of time. I don't know necessarily it's all because of that. We did the two games in December, which should be enough to accelerate your conference regular season one week. But we do have, I think, a, a, a larger break here in February. I think between Wisconsin on January 29th, uh, we have a week off before we play Minnesota on the sixth, so that, that's where you be able to catch your breath a little bit as a team. But there's just a, a, a quick sequence of games here. Hmm. All right, guys. Uh, anything else on knee uh, basketball? Nope, I'm good. I'll take that. As, I'll take that as a no. All right. Well, are there, to my point, lots of stuff to talk about in the next couple of weeks with uh, the basketball team. So we'll be right back in this. Uh, on next week's Redcast. All right, guys, are we ready for some parting shots? Let's go for it. Honky? It's all you, buddy. All right. uh, I just have the one tonight, actually. Congrats to to Men's Gymnastics, who uh, is number one in the country right now. And not only is is Nebraska Gymnastics number one, but number two is Penn State, number three is Ohio State, and number four is Illinois. So, really – in the world of gymnastics, at least, we can shout like the SEC does in football. We could be shouting the Big Big Ten uh, for gymnastics because we are as dominant in that uh, as as any conferences in any other sport. I bet we could do the same thing with uh, wrestling as well. So uh, we got we got a few things going. There's for There's a good shot of that. I don't know how bowling is at the other Big Ten schools, but uh, certainly gymnastics. Boomer probably knows. He follows women's bowling pretty closely, actually. Boomer, what's your uh, parting shot? Well, I'm just looking forward to next week's uh, breakdown from Honky on uh, the men's gymnastics weightlifting regimen and uh, how the recruiting is going to go. So I know you Redcasters are excited for it, too. We'll be on the edge of our seats, so look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, we former gold medalists uh, on our, back in the day. So, uh, you know, long storied tradition of men's gymnastics at Nebraska. All right, guys. Uh, good, good show this week. Hopefully, Mac uh, can join us again next week, and we'll dive in deeper into uh, winter conditioning and whatnot. Uh, but for now, let's call that a go big red cat. PBR.